Y'all ready for the word tonight? All right, let's get into this. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. All right, we're going to pick up where we left off last week by hands. How many was here last week? If you was here last week, I started something that I just want to continue the thought because I didn't have the time to finish it all. But I talked about something very important as it relates to the sovereignty of God. I'm not going to be long tonight, but I do want to make sure that I kind of uh, finish what I started. And I'm going to go back and kind of regurgitate, if you will, just a couple points that I think that are needed. Because this is what we talked about last week. Why, if God is good, if God is love, why do bad things happen to good people? If God is all love, how come bad things happen to good people? Now, most people that ask that question in our minds would be either wounded, offended, atheistic, agnostic in the perspective. But I want you to go with me really quickly before we get any deeper to Genesis chapter 18. And we're going to go to verse 25. Genesis 18:25. Before you think you're crazy for asking these type of questions, because how many have truly in your faith along the journey at some point have asked, God, why is this happening to me? How many have paid a sacrifice? Now, listen, not all of us have really tapped into what it means to pay a sacrifice for for the kingdom. A lot of us are still living very immature in that that side of our Christian walk. But how many have ever made up in your mind that in this next season you're going to pay the price required so that you can become whatever it is that God has called you to become. How many ever went through that season where you're sacrificing, you're loving, you're forgiving, you're doing all that you know how to do to be a good Christian and things still did not turn? Anybody ever been there? How many how many ever been frustrated? Listen, when I when I I remember years ago when I was young man, younger than I am now, I was I was frustrated. Ooh, I was mad. A lot of them calls I'd call Bishop Ken here, and man, I've had times where I've got out the car, ran in a field, and me and God had it out. I was a crazy dude out there yelling at the stars. Like, listen, where are you? Um, This ain't making no sense. Why is this happening to me? And I thought in the moment that I would ask those questions, I would somehow feel alone in in my asking. Like, why is everything going the wrong way how is this possible i am doing what you've told me to do i thought doing what you told me to do would save me from these type of things but look at here look at genesis here 18 watch this here he says far be it are you ready pastor genesis chapter 18 verse 25 far be it from you to do such a thing To slay the righteous with the wicked. So that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? In other words, you're the judge of everything. How come justice isn't being served? How come justice isn't being served? Real quick, go to Jeremiah chapter 12, just real fast. Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah is what we consider in the theological circles the weeping prophet. Jeremiah had a heart for people. And one thing that you'll find in any leadership position, you all ready for this? It's very difficult 
I can't remember what movie it was. I think it was Black Panther, where uh, what was what was his name in the movie Black Panther? T'Challa, after he had passed from this life and went to the next life, and he talked to his father. And one of the things his father says is hard for a good man to be a good king. The reason being is because to be a leader that's in love with people, sometimes you find yourself having to tell them hard truths that actually don't feel good. This is why I believe it's called hard sayings. I don't believe it's hard for the hearer. I think that when you have the right heart, it's hard for the sayer. That they're hard sayings. Why? Because I don't want to hurt you. And I certainly don't want you to feel uncomfortable. I want my presence in your life to be peaceful. I want it to be purposeful. But one of the hard challenges of anybody who is in leadership is when you are in love with the people you are assigned to, it becomes very difficult to give them sayings that could produce turmoil in their life. Now, this is really important. So Jeremiah, here's Jeremiah. I want to, I want to read this. Are we ready, Pastor? We're going to read down about four or five verses, then we're going to skip over to verse 14. Watch this here. Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? Isn't that something? Why are the way of the, why is the wicked prospering? Here's Jeremiah, sold out for God. How come they're prospering? Look, look, look as it continues, let's keep reading. Watch this. You have planted them. They have also taken root. They grow. They have even produced fruit. You are near to their lips, but far from their mind. These are people that do not even worship God. These are people that are in the way of the world. And he's literally praying to saying, why have you blessed these people? Why are the wicked prospering and the righteous are not? Aren't you a just God? Aren't you a just God? And this is why I'm bringing this up. Jeremiah is one of the greatest historical, biblical voices in the Bible. He's messianic in his, in his prophecy. He's, he's historic in his, his call to Israel. There's so many things about Jeremiah that is um, that the body of Scripture leans on as it relates to Christ and him coming through the, uh, the type and shadows and the messianic messages and prophecies and all of these type of things. Jeremiah is a major player in Scripture. Jeremiah is, is one of the guys that most people look up to. Abraham's one of the guys that most people look up to. Abraham's the father of faith. He's mentioned through Hebrews. He's, he's mentioned all through Scripture. There's a great debate right now in the Middle East. Who, is, is really a daddy issue. Uh, is, it, is, it, is you know, Abraham and Sarah, was it, was it Isaac or Ishmael? And, and, and this is where you got this divide that's going on in the Middle East because both are claiming Abraham is the father. And this is why the world is still at war in the Middle East because of these terms. But this is what's amazing. Abraham, who knew God. Jeremiah, who knew God. Job, who knew God. Moses, who knew God. I can find scripture on all of them to where they are saying the same thing. God, where are you? How come my enemies are prospering, those who do not serve God, and I am struggling? I'm following your ways, and life looks like hell in my life, but they're getting all the goodies. What am I trying to say? Is that it doesn't matter how anointed you are, it does not save you from going through necessary seasons that God wants you to go through. 
everybody, no matter how great they was in the kingdom, had the same question. And why did that minister to me? Because I, when I was out in that field yelling at God, where are you? I was just joining the generational frustration that has always been throughout man's history. Because anybody that truly loves God comes to a moment in their life to where they really throw up their hands and say, what are you doing? If you really love God, because they're, not every trial that you're facing is a sin issue. Some of it is an obedience issue. Sometimes, most times, when the enemy wants to distract you, he'll put comfort at your door. Call, call to the, to the Roman Empire, to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel of the good news, the grace of God. He changed the world more than any apostle that was in Scripture. He wrote most of the New Testament. Paul did some miraculous things. And one day, he's trying, he gets off the boat and he's trying to warm his hand by the fire. He's getting ready to go preach deliverance to the city. And he warms his hand by the fire and a snake comes out and bites him. Rather than Paul get mad and say, well, I'm in your will. Why would the snake bite me? Why would he bite me? Paul instead is trained with thanksgiving. He was trained at the beginning of his ministry how to be thankful. That's why he said, I've abased and abound. I've had a lot, have a little. I'll tell you the secret. What is the secret? Thanksgiving. How am I content in all things? Thanksgiving. I've learned that the secret of peace in any circumstance is thanksgiving. So, Paul, the same guy, God called him to Rome. Now watch this, y'all. God called him to Rome. To get there, he had to take a ship. You would think that if he got on the ship to get to Rome, you would think if God called him there, he would also prepare safe passage. But Paul said, I've been shipwrecked. How are you going to call me to a place and the doggone boat don't even hold up? How are you going to leave me out here? I can't even get to where you're calling me to be because the boat I got on broke apart on the way. Where you at, God? See, we think doing what God said means that we don't have any trials getting there. But your real trials don't start until you said yes to God. That's when the real trials start. Whew. There's people that's mad at you that's, that is meant to oppose you that ain't even speaking up yet because you ain't said yes to God long enough. They're actually, I really believe that just like, just like God has a will, I believe the enemy has a will. And I believe that there's people that actually serve the wrong master. And I believe that the enemy puts them on assignment to stand in the way of the righteous. I do believe in divine opposition. Amen, somebody. But look at here. Go to, go. So we see Jeremiah complaining, why are the wicked prospering? But look at here. Let's go to verse 14. Stay right there in, in chapter 12, verse 14. Then we're going to move. Look at Now here's God answering Jeremiah. Now watch what his answer is. Thus says the Lord concerning all my wicked neighbors who strike at the inheritance with which I have endowed my people Israel. Behold, I am about to uproot them from their land and will uproot the house of Judah from among them. Continue. 
And it shall come about that after I have uprooted them, I will again have compassion on them, and I will bring them back, each one to his inheritance and each one to his land. <laughs> I don't know if this is landing yet, but this is how God is. Notice that God never answered the question. What was the question? God, how come the wicked are prospering and the righteous are suffering? God finally speaks, and he doesn't even answer the question. That's how God operates. I told you before, I told you last week, if you weren't here last week, you need to get the, get the, get the message last week. God never answered Jeremiah's question. He just told him what he's going to do with him. He never said why. God never said why. There is so many times that you will pray to God and ask a thing, and you'll ask a thing, and God will stay silent on the issue. Why? You remember the scripture in the New Covenant where Paul talks about, he says that, he says that I'll never put more on you than you can, what? Bear. But this is funny that Jesus uses the same word when he says, there's more that I have to say to you, but you cannot. Maybe what Paul was talking about wasn't necessarily something that we should rejoice over, but rather examine our hearts to see if we're able to bear more because ministry, revelation, the things that God wants to do in your life is going, you're going to have to increase your ability to bear things. Leadership is about bearing things. It's about upholding things. It's about, it's about the strength to be able to carry things on your back. This is, Something because Jesus said, he says, there's more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it. Which tells me one thing about God is that when we ask God why, God is very cautious to answer those questions because he's not measuring our ability to hear it here. He's measuring our ability to bear what he's going to say. Why? Because God does not give you answers in the form of a sentence. This is important. I need you to get this here. You got to think with me. When God answers you, God cannot speak a thing without creating a thing. He spoke and things became. So when God answers you, you need room in your heart for the creation of whatever he's speaking. And if you're filled up here and there's no space here, God is not going to waste. He's not going to waste. God is only going to speak based off the space available in your heart. If it's cluttered with the things of the world. If it's cluttered with the things of the world, there's no space for you to get it. You're going to stay in the mystery. Sometimes the end of mystery is simply emptying your heart of today's concerns. This is why we set aside these things. When we come to God, we need to come with space available in my heart, God. Because he wants to speak a thing, which simply means I want to create a thing. God is not just somebody who is just having a conversation. He's very cautious with his words because everything he says becomes. He's not like you and I. We We can shoot the breeze. God creates worlds with a paragraph. It's different. Amen. 
So why are you in the mystery right now? Why am I saying it? Because we're asking God all of these questions, but we don't have the space to bear the answer. This is what I know about God. God will, God will keep you in a season of silence for as long as it takes for you to adjust things in your heart so that you can truly fellowship with whatever he's trying to do in your life. God will not rush just because you're frustrated. He will not rush your process just because you're angry today. Just because you have them moments like me in the field, like, where are you at? Or like Jeremiah, or like Moses or Abraham. None of that stuff gets God saying, I better move now, they're upset. I better do a thing now, come on, I'm, he's upset. He's, he, listen, God's got, when you're praying out of frustration, just picture daddy God. There we go with the recliner, he's got his feet up. It, there's not, listen, <laughs> the reason he tells you to not be anxious is because he don't know nothing about it. God can't fellowship with something that ain't him. That's why he tells you to not be anxious. He's trying to get everything in you, out of you, that doesn't look like him. Now, whoo, this okay tonight? I want to go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Everybody say this, if God is love, then why does evil happen? Come on, we can say that a little bit louder. Come on, if God is love, why does evil happen? This is so important to get this stuff here. Just stay with me for about 10 more minutes here. Let's read Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God give dominion to us to rule over everything. If you was here last week, you know that I was teaching on on what dominion looks like, it simply just means ownership. God give us ownership. So this is really, really important because essentially what I'm saying is that God give us the earth as the family business. He gave us the earth as the family business. So why does evil happen? Is it God's fault that evil happens? Or is it that we mismanage the family business? This is important. Because you have to understand that God sees things generationally. Okay? This, this is really important to get this. When you and I see evil, when we see things like the Holocaust, we see things like uh, just wars throughout the centuries that have just been terrible. I mean, Christian, the, the Christian religion uh, was one of the most violent religions uh, coming out the, uh, of, of the Dark Age. One of the worst some of the holy wars was terrible some of the things they did while bearing the cross of Christ terrible Uh, some of the stuff that happened in the name of Jesus so much of what we called Christianity did not bear his nature and this is why so many people want to reject it because the history attached to it the truth is I'm a Christian because of what Christ is forming in me my allegiance is to Christ, not the religion that we call Christianity. Something about that has been tarnished throughout the years. But I'm a Christ follower for sure. Amen, somebody. The early Christians was actually followers of the way. That was how they identified. Followers of the way because we knew that Christ was giving us the way. He was teaching us what it meant to truly be a Christ follower. Um, So watch this here. 
dominion meaning ownership. This is really important. But I want you to get this. Before God gave you ownership, what did he say? He said, I have created them. Look at here, verse 26. Let us make man or human beings in our image and likeness. Before he gave you ownership, we reflected what it meant to be God's creation. Before, when he said, here's the family business, he was handing it to people that looked like him. So what happened? We lost the image and likeness. And when you lose what it means to look like the father, and you don't bear his image anymore, well, Pastor, I don't, what is bearing his image? Look at your life. Can people see Christ in you? Are you following the plan of God for your life? When people meet you on a daily basis, are you walking in the nature of God? Does your life line up with what God is saying about you? Do people sense the love of God off of you? Those are image bearers. And people who are truly following God are going to steward the family business a certain way. But he says here, he says, I give them dominion after they was created in in the image and likeness. This is so important, y'all. Who's creating evil? If, if I walk away from the plan of God on my life, and then all hell breaks loose in my family, and, I, and I'm wounded and I'm hurt, and then I raise my kids from a wound and offenses and hurt, then they raise their kids, you're, you're only about four or five generations from seeing some serious repercussions. When kids grow up in a family that the, 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 the leadership, the headship of the house is not following the plan of God, you are... You, you are, what you're doing is you are almost indoctrinating them in something that is going to lead them to death constantly throughout their life. It is so imperative that when we follow God, we understand that our following God actually prepares the next generation to do the same. We can't preach to our kids, we have to live with them. You want to see somebody resent Christianity in church? Preach one thing and live another. They don't care how much people are jumping up and shouting hallelujah, you better preach back. If you ain't living it at home, my kids can't tell you one thing I've preached. We asked KK the other day driving down the road. We was playing a game in the car. and I said, well, we're going to see how much scripture they know. We were like, who, who was... <laughs> Who is the Lord and Savior? KK was like, Mary? <laughs> I guess if you follow the fruit, I'll figure out a way to make it right. That's my baby. Uh, Shawnee was like, wrong. I was like, no, not technically. Wait a minute. Go to Hosea 8. No. <laughs> I flipped that thing. But... The other day, Haven got this little girl at her school trying to fight her. This little girl's mad because she slammed the locker real hard one day, and Haven got irritated. She said, why you got to slam it so hard? Now this girl catching herself having beef. So Haven's coming home every day talking about, you know, this little girl's wanting to fight her. And uh, so Haven gets in the car the other day when I was picking him up from school. I actually just got off the phone with you. Dave said, yeah, Dad, I think tomorrow I'm just going to slap her. Right. 
And here's, here comes the counsel of God. Here's KK. I don't think Jesus would do that, Haven. Listen, ma'am, you don't even know who your Lord and Savior is. <laughs> you should have said, I don't think Mary would do that. But, but, but here's, the, here's the thing that is so funny about it. Why did she say that? She don't have enough biblical knowledge to say that. Why did she say that? Because she's seen in her household people demonstrate what love looks like. I don't have to tell her love is from God. She's created knowing that. We knew love. We know love before we've known anything else. Fear is not your first companion. You was created in love. Fear was foreign. When this is why this is so important. When when God is doing the thing in your life, He'll 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 put you in a season to where he is just exposing the fear and then he's pulling it out from you. And it's not like he has to give you more love. The love is there. It's existing there in your very being. You're created from love. It's there. It just needs to be perfected. That's the love that casts fear out. Isn't that something? See, here's some things we know about God. Revelation 4 says that we created for his good pleasure. I taught on this last week. I'm just trying to catch us all up. We're created for his good pleasure. In other words, God created you for his good pleasure. His desire is to see you blessed. It doesn't matter how much Pastor Shawnee and I love y'all. Listen, I can tell you everything that you need to do to follow God. But the truth is, some of y'all, it's going to go in one ear and it's going to go right out the other ear. It ain't even making it to the other year for some of us. It's just going out the same years. Because we're so set on doing it our way because we are in a position to where we trust nobody. And so we're going to do it our way. It doesn't matter how much you lose, you're going to keep doing it your way. I can tell people all the time, listen, it's, it's, it's like, man, do this, 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 this. And then some people will do it and some people won't. And it's like, you want to love them, but they just, they, they won't get it until they get it. And you got to love them through the journey as part of the job of pastoring. But God created you for his pleasure. God gets pleasure. God gets pleasure seeing us walk in abundant life. Now watch this. First John. Actually, skip skip first John. Go to Deuteronomy 30. This is where I left off last week. I'm just gonna give you this and then flip it real quick. Deuteronomy 30, 15, 19. Watch this. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Alright, so here we go. Remember last last week I, I brought Sydney up and uh, who was it, Jabin? I had them both standing here and I said Matt, come on. We'll just shoot you guys both here. It's going to be this easy. This time, Javen's going to hold the gun. So look, why does evil exist? If you stand right here. If brother against brother, he pulls a gun, he's going to kill this man. Some would say, why would God allow that if he's good? Now, now listen, man, what is that? You shooting a rubber band at him? He, he had a Glock last week, man. He did you like this. And you doing... 
<laughs> Whatever he's shooting at this man. <laughs> so listen, why would God allow him to shoot him though? Because God is love. That seems like an oxymoron, but it's not. Love does not control your decisions. It influences them, but it doesn't control them. Because God is love, he will not interfere. He, this is why the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. Some will say, well, if God is love, well, he'd stop that. No, because then at that point, we're all robots. We're all robots. This is my problem with Calvinism. You told me I'm a terrible Calvinist, which I am. I'm glad. Um, <laughs> the predestination thing don't work for me because there's no way for God to measure our love. Do you, you, you see that? He can't measure it because we're predestined to do whatever he's telling us to do at all times. We're just robots. No, no, God's giving you a decision to make. Look at what Deuteronomy says here. You guys be seated. Look at what Deuteronomy says. This right here, let's read. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, right. to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands. Do you see the, what he's saying? He's telling you to walk in his ways, to keep his commands. Watch. Decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Uh-huh. Keep going. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away. So what's he away, saying? He said, I'm telling you right now. This The other verse that you're probably familiar with here said, he said, I set before you today life and death. Look, at death and destruction. I set before you life and death, death and destruction. You have an opportunity. Which one are you going to pick? He's not saying it like if, if, if God was controlling you, he wouldn't give you a choice of life and death. Life and death. What are you going to do with this? Why does, not, why does God not intervene? Because he's love. He wants you to follow his ways, but you'll never recognize that his ways are better if you don't have a choice. You got to make the right choice. Why does evil happen? There's so many people that are born. I, I have people tell me all the time, like, well, God is love. Why is this baby born with this deficiency? I don't know. Maybe I'd have to track the family history. Maybe there was a terrible diet for 20 generations. God told you to quit eating that way for a reason. Why? Because it creates deficiencies in you. You're going to pass them on to the next person. Eventually, this thing is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Why are kids born with stir? I don't know all the answers to stuff, but I do know that if we follow God's ways generationally, we'll get back to what it looks like to live abundantly. That's what I do know. There's a reason why God said this. What we're calling evil is just God deciding not to intervene because he's trying to give us life, but we've got to choose it. Why is he not intervening? Because he loves you. He's trying to lead you. He's trying to guide you. He loves you enough to get in the way of your nonsense and say, wait, red flag, red flag, don't do that. I'm sending him. How many have been about ready to do something and somebody would call you? I mean, you, I mean, all of a sudden, Pastor Gail texting you or Sean texting you or somebody texting you and all of a sudden you're about to do something real stupid. Here's, here's the Holy Spirit. Let me lead her. Let me, let me stop it. And you keep on doing it. Don't get mad because the consequences, you chose death. You chose death repeatedly, and this is why you're in this situation. 
You cannot flirt with death constantly in your decisions and expect there to be a good outcome. I'm telling you, the enemy is sifting us. He wants to destroy you. Woo! He wants to destroy you, but you got to choose life. People who constantly choose death, you know what they hate? Correction. How do you know your heart's in the wrong place? Because you avoid correction. Paul told us to endure sound doctrine. He didn't say listen to it. He didn't say hear sound doctrine. He said in the last days they will not endure sound doctrine. What's it there for? It's there so that we can constantly, continually choose life. So I want to put that before you tonight. It's not that God is evil. God's desire is that you and I walk in abundant life. But man, you got to choose it. You have to choose it. How many husbands we got in here? You're married and you're the head of your house. Let me see that. Listen, it is really important. It is really important. You know, we brag about the headship because of Paul's teaching. I'm the head. Really, that, all that means is you're the thinking. So whatever you entertain in your thinking is going to be dominant in your family. That headship word isn't there for you to kick somebody. The headship word is there for you to steward your mentality so that it, so whatever reality you're stewarding, come on somebody, can be present in your family. That's what the headship is there for. You're a head, that means you got a responsibility. You got a responsibility. It amazes me how many husbands get mad at wives for not being what they want them to be and them jokers been acting a fool. You can't reap anything that you sowed. I thought I'd get an amen by some women there. Yeah, hey, I love it. Pastor Kitty with me. It's truth, though. It's truth. And, and I'm saying this out of love. I really am. You want the life that God has got for you. You're going to have to understand. You have to start choosing life. Choosing life. It's a big deal. This is what happened at the garden when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did that do to our reasoning? This is, this is the biggie here tonight. What did it do to your reasoning? It, uh, it stopped us from being able to figure out what is good and what is evil. So what we do is anything that's associated with pain or discomfort is evil. We put it in that category. And is we're going towards a pleasure. Anything that's got pleasure and comfort, we put in the good. And then what's happening is we're going towards the pleasure and comfort not knowing that's the evil. Rather than like Paul say, I'm called to go here, the ship may not make it, but I'm going to make it. <laughs> I didn't go down with the ship. I didn't get the comfort of going where I was going, but I still made it. <laughs> Every real fighter doesn't train in comfort. Every champion trains in a Season of being uncomfortable brings out a different dog in you. Because why? Because they know the value. Uh, really, because comfort really. Here's the problem with comfort while you're training. It's not the reality. Comfort does not mimic the reality that you're getting ready to walk into. Tank was in the service. Tank was in the service. How many other service? Rolfies using the service back there. People that train. Boot camp. 
That ain't no joke. They're training. They're, they're going through all of these crazy training obstacles and all this stuff. Why? Because, man, they're being trained to go to war. They're being trained to go to war. They're being trained for missions that most people would not be able to handle. So they have to go through a season that mimics what they may be assigned to in the future. So God doesn't, God doesn't prepare you by giving you comfort for your journey so that you can get to your destination and expect it to be easy. He just prom- he, Listen, he doesn't take away discomfort, but he promises you peace in it. He promises you he'll be with you. So many atheists, and I'm getting ready to close, so many atheists stand on this very question. If God is love, then why is this? And they can't wrap their mind around it. It's real simple to me. The earth is in the condition that it's in simply because we have constantly chose death. Over and over and over. And right now we live in a nation that is choosing death more than I've ever seen in my life. And we're celebrating it. We're celebrating it. This stuff is crazy, man. We have to choose life. Choose God's way. You want to recover all the things that God, you know, the old song you say, I went to the enemy's camp. It's terrible theology. And took back what he stole from me. I got a question. When did the enemy ever steal from you? You're talking about John. That has nothing to do with it. The thief that come to kill, steal, and destroy, there is not the devil. It's the religious spirit in the context. I'll teach that some other time. The enemy doesn't have permission to steal from us. We give him access. Peter said, don't give place to him. Don't give place to the devil. You think the devil could just come in and destroy mankind by tempting Eve? Getting to Adam? No. She struck up. There was a conversation. He convinced her to partake of this lie. He convinced her. Before she ate of the apple, it says that she seen that it was good to eat. You see through the conversations you entertain. The enemy wants to destroy your life. I'm telling you tonight, choose life, y'all. Choose life. You want a better life, choose life. Start choosing life. Make some commitments tonight. This is what I want to challenge you in closing. Make some commitments tonight. You really want to see the hand of God in your life. It's not going to come through a service to where we're shouting out war cries and, and all the things that we do in church. You know, we yell at the stars and, you know, try to... I watched a thing today where they was in Flint screaming at the devil outside. We taking back the women from the south and north. The problem with that is that it don't work. That's the problem. That's too hot to be doing that anyway doesn't work because you can't override what the women from the north, south, east, and west are going to do with their life. They have to choose life. You can't deliver something by shouting at it. They have a choice that they have to walk into. If you want to change your city, get to know the people. Try to try to influence them by the spirit and change their hearts. That's how you change a city. You can't just shout out to the heavens. If you're talking about the devil in the city, that's something that's going over the city of Detroit. I heard a preacher tell me years ago, he said, man, there's a evil, there's a spirit over the city. There's a stronghold over the city. I said, no, there's not. No, there's not. The stronghold is in the mindsets of the people. There's not some demonic atmosphere that's in the air that you can sniff and smell. He's been defeated at the cross. What Jesus did 
freed every city in the world. Why is Detroit in the condition it's in? Because of the mindsets we're entertaining, because we're choosing death. Why? Because we do not have enough people preaching life. Teach them. Teach them. You husbands that are in here, Father's Day is approaching here soon. Amen, somebody. Father's Day is approaching here soon. Amen. Come on, baby. You ain't going to say amen? I want a uh, filet mignon. I'm choosing life. All you husbands in the room, lead your families with the mindset of God. Listen to the Father. Everybody that's in this room that professes Christ, man, whatever happened, happened. It's time to change it. Start surrendering your heart back to the ways of the Father, and I promise you, life abundantly will come back in your life. Life abundantly. If you want that, just raise your hand tonight. Father, I thank you right now for everyone in here. Some of them been under turmoil and circumstances, God. Life has been beating them up, God. And I'm, I'm positive we can trace it to decisions. Father, help us to make decisions that follow your heart. That follow your heart tonight. I pray that nobody leaves in here under the spirit of condemnation. Nobody leaves under the spirit of condemnation. But, Father, they leave with the spirit of hope. Choosing life that is before them today. You set before us a decision. Help us to leave this place ready to make a difference by choosing life. Choosing your way. Help us to walk in your nature. Help us to love humanity the way that you love humanity. Help us to see people the way you see people. Help us to lead our families the way that you would lead us. Help us, Father, to, to, to not take for granted the responsibility that we have as kingdom representation here in the earth. That you want to show the world your love through your body. You used your body to reconcile us. You're still using it to redeem us in our thinking. I thank you, Father, tonight for your love towards us. And tonight, Father, I pray that somebody surrenders and makes it up in their mind to truly, truly follow you. In Jesus' name, we choose life over death. We choose life over death. We choose love over fear. In Jesus' name.